0: Betches Media presents.
1: I like beer. I don't know if you, do. Okay. Do you like beer, Senator, or not.
0: Um, My party is going crazy. <laughs> You're the pop- Alternative facts. Oh, goodness. The Betches Sup Podcast. America! Hello, and welcome back to the Betches Sup Podcast. I'm Sammy Fishbine. I'm Brian Russell Smith. And for those of you who are just tuning in, the Betches Sup Podcast is your weekly rundown of all the crazy shit that's happening in the news, explained by our two friendliest friends. Which is us. Yes, it is. Today, we are joined for this bonus episode by Chris Brown, who's president of Brady, America's oldest gun violence prevention group. And we are so excited to have you, Chris.
1: Thank you. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Yeah, too. Lots to talk about. Yeah. So why don't we just start with why don't you tell us a little about yourself and what um, Brady is?
1: Sure. Um, I'm Chris Brown and the president of Brady. Brady, as you said, is one of the nation's oldest and we'd like to say boldest violence prevention organizations. We Mm -hmm. were founded by Jim and Sarah Brady. Jim Brady was President Ronald Reagan's press secretary and he was shot in the line of duty. Jim and Sarah, yeah, devoted their lives, six years and over seven votes, to enact the Brady Law. That's the law that's in effect today that has stopped more than three million sales of guns to prohibited purchasers. Mm -hmm. It requires a background check to be conducted before the sale of a gun to a federally licensed firearms dealer. So we're very proud of that legacy. But obviously, I'm engaged and involved in this issue because I worked on Capitol Hill a long time ago when the Brady Law was first enacted, and 25 years have passed since then. And we have a a culture and a society today where we have more than 300 million guns in homes in this country, and still a situation because of certain gaps in the Brady Law that allow guns to be bought and sold to dangerous individuals and we want to fix that and we really want to address the culture of, of gun ownership in this country and ensure that we have a culture that promotes responsible gun ownership. That's why we've watched with horror really to see what the NRA has done to shape a culture war around the issue of guns in this country and the, the casualties Our average everyday people in America, about 100 of whom are dying from gun violence in this country. So our mission is to cut gun violence in half. Mm -hmm. And we Mm -hmm. have programs to do that in cities across this country. um, And we want gun owners and non-gun owners, people in red states and blue states, to be part of this solution.
0: Yeah. I mean, it sounds amazing. Do you do you have a sense of like so obviously the NRA has a ton of power, but in terms of like actual favorability amongst the general public, what does the American public think about guns and gun control?
1: It's an issue where it's hard to find more common ground. So, uh, as I mentioned, we're responsible for the Brady law that's in effect. But just to give a little history and perspective on that, it was enacted about 25 years ago today and it applied to federally licensed firearms dealers because when it was passed, there wasn't this thing called the Internet and gun (laughs) shows weren't big business. They are now and private sellers technically in many states can still sell guns without a background check at all over the Internet and at gun shows is where a huge amount of that happens. And as a result, about one in five guns sold today is sold with no background check at all. The last poll that I saw on that said that 97 percent, and I had to have our team look at it, (laughs) go through, scrub the numbers, because you can't find any issue today Mm -hmm. in America where 97 percent of people agree. But 97 percent of Americans believe that we should expand that law and when you look at the measures that we are pushing, the vast majority of Americans in every single one support those measures being enacted because they know fundamentally there's no trade-off between their safety, the safety of their families, and their safety of their kids, and the Second Amendment. So,
0: if ninety-seven percent of Americans feel this way, why can't that law? Why can't we expand the law?
1: It's a historical issue, and you, you guys uh, hit the right issue with the NRA. The NRA has basically created a culture war around the issue of guns, and we've seen this play out over the weekend, last weekend of the NRA mm-hmm. convention, where w- w- when you saw, th- putting aside the the, uh, the meltdown between Wayne LaPierre and Oliver North, if you heard what Uh, Vice President Pence and President Trump were talking about. They rarely even mentioned the issue of guns. Talk about the border wall. They create a dystopic universe in which the only solution is for all of us to walk around with guns. But most Americans know and understand that's not correct. And so what's happened post Parkland, and we saw this in the 2018 election, where we have now the first gun violence prevention majority in the House of Representatives, mm-hmm. is voters are voting on this issue as a top priority issue. That's how we got the change in the House of Representatives. And we, we see that in polls recently, that they continue to put it at a a top priority issue. If we continue to make it a top priority issue in 2020, Mm -hmm. we will finally enact change on this. The reason it hasn't happened is because the NRA has owned far too many politicians. It's just that simple. And so even though their constituents, the vast majority want this, uh, too many have gotten money from the NRA and perceive that the NRA owns them. And they're selling us all down the river in the process.
0: So where does the NRA get all of their money from if it's such a small portion of Americans who are really believing in this dystopia that they're trying to sell?
1: Um, The NRA has uh, a a vast array of of sources of money, which apparently also include uh, money from Russia. If you follow the reports that have been...
0: We do. Um, (laughs) Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, Uh, And they they have not had super strong financial controls, obviously, as seen Uh, Wayne LaPierre is suing a vendor, Ackerman McQueen, that's responsible for most of their marketing. They've paid them about $40 million in 2016. And the basis of the suit, let me just summarize is, we paid you $40 million. Can you please explain to us what you did with that money? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which which may or may not be why the New York attorney general has said, wait, the NRA is chartered in this state. Why is it that it has nonprofit status? We don't think it should. So the New York AG has opened an investigation into the NRA's finances. And I think what we'll find is it's not getting most of its funding from member dues. Mm-hmm. We think that it's getting a fair amount of funding from various other initiatives that ultimately uh, lead back to funding from the gun manufacturers. And that would make a lot of sense because all, what they're really representing here is selling more guns at any cost. What, what the New Yorker focused on, they did a, an amazing article a couple of weeks ago and I would definitely commend that to your listeners mm-hmm. to, to read. It is an amazing read. And what they note is that the NRA now spends about 10%, just 10% of its total revenue on any program that could be uh, viewed as focused on gun safety and appropriate gun stewardship. That's what it was founded to do. Yeah. So it has strayed significantly from any public purpose that would qualify it for tax-exempt status.
0: Right. How, can you explain a little bit of how the Russia the Russia um, scandal got wrapped up in this? Because it is obviously very curious that Russia would choose the NRA as kind of its focal point for funneling money.
1: Yes and no, to be honest. Um, and, and I this is from from uh, an avid reading standpoint what my supposition is i can't say that this is certain fact i certainly hope that congress and other regulatory authorities really start pulling this thread and doing more subpoenas and getting more information because it's manifestly in the public interest but If you look at what Ackerman McQueen, that's the agency that Wayne LaPierre hired about more than 20 years ago to do the marketing for the NRA has done. They have painted sort of this dystopic universe that I've said, which boils down to me to selling more guns at any cost. And as I said, that benefits the gun manufacturers. They've focused and doubled down, especially with NRA TV Spokespeople like Dana Lesh, who earns, earns Boo. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've heard her called Cruella DeVille. I, I won't comment on that. Yeah, she's, but, uh, she's awful. Yeah. Um, she, she earns about a million dollars to spew that rhetoric that mm-hmm. she does. And if you were a foreign entity looking at an organization that didn't have transparent financials, that had separate arms in which you could make contributions and not necessarily have that traced to you. That's fringe because really they have become very fringe. And that was doubling down on a theory that we should elect Trump at any cost. Well, that's actually a pretty good decision to go with. Mm -hmm. And I think what I've read and what I've heard is they were actually looking at various organizations just like that in which they may be able to more or less funnel money. And if you trace it back, that's apparently, based on the, some of the information that we have, what likely happened there. What we also know is that while the NRA is in part financial distress because of the amount of money they decided to double down on the 2016 Trump election, initial reports are that they contributed around $30 million dollars to his campaign, oh, wow. other reports have come out and indicated that the number is more like seventy. Wow. And the real question is, where did they get all of that money? Mm-hmm. Because the the reports that we're seeing from the NRA convention and why there's such a meltdown is they're apparently about forty three million dollars in debt. Wow, that doesn't sound like a good way to run a nonprofit to me.
0: Yeah. Right. So where did so the money that the forty million dollars that was questionable that they paid to their PR firm Ackerman McQueen, what do you suspect or what do people think that money actually went towards Well, a huge amount of money and this comes more from
1: the New Yorker article has gone over time to uh salaries hugely inflated salaries for key staff. We know Dana Dana Lesh, as I mentioned, earns about a million dollars a year. Apparently, uh, the contract for Oliver North was about a million dollars a year. Some of that money went to run NRA TV. Others mm-hmm. of that money went to host very, very wealthy lifestyle events for high-end donors to the yeah. NRA and influencers, which were uh sounds like the kinds of things that happened just before the decline uh, of the Greek empire. I mean, literally sort of these, uh, it, it, you know, gold laden sort of festivals yeah. that occurred. Um, uh, hunting trips in Africa, big game hunting. So it sounds like the vast majority, I would just speculate, went on travel and entertainment it also went to put together a program that was supposed to be the savior of the NRA called Carry Guard. That we dubbed murder insurance.
0: What is Carry what is, what is Guard?
1: Carry Guard was insurance that uh, NRA members could obtain for a fee that if they shot someone would basically provide all of their defense. Costs and potentially some costs associated with an adverse judgment.
0: Uh, wow! So yeah. it's like, so was is it for a- if they accidentally shot someone, or is it if is like if they murder someone?
1: Well, the New York AG uh, looked at it and said this violates all norms uh, uh, under New York law because it basically ensures someone for what is tantamount to murder. Right. Uh, wow. So. And if you look at it, you know, the NRA is responsible. Some of their legislative initiatives have resulted in things like stand your ground laws
0: mm-hmm.
1: in Florida. And we know how that went down. So we're looking at basically ensuring the George Zimmerman's of the world. Yeah. And what do you think that does except encourage exactly that kind of behavior? Mm-hmm. So they, they, the New York Attorney General uh, looked at that because they're chartered in New York, as I said previously, and said, no, 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 you're prohibited from actually offering this insurance. Uh, We know that the NRA spent significant money through Ackerman to put that program together and build it as a huge cash cow. So that has also had a very detrimental effect. And I'll just add this flourish. It probably also doesn't help all of the add-ons that go into the million-dollar salaries that also Wayne Lapierre was able to achieve. When you think about an average allowance for him, which came out over the weekend at the convention, his clothing allowance is two hundred thousand dollars.
0: Jesus, that right? must be nice. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> right. I want that. Yeah. <laughs> Question: How many people bought this carry guard insurance? You know. And is it still I, like, is that program still up and running?
1: It's it's effectively defunct because the New York AG's uh, decision there really had a huge impact on the underwriting by insurance companies of that product. So Chubb, which was one of their, you know, it's an international insurer and one of their main underwriters pulled out. And the, the the New York AG sent kind of shockwaves through the financial services sector such that it chilled the ability to offer this at a competitive rate. Now, the NRA is fighting back. and Shocker. It, shocker. Yeah. And in, in typical fashion, they've hired an attorney, but it's quite costly for them to continue this suit. They're paying, according to reports that I've seen about million in legal fees per month to fight the ban. And interestingly, the attorney representing them, Bill Brewer, his father-in-law is Angus McQueen, the McQueen of Ackerman McQueen. Wow! And anytime you try and pull a thread on the NRA, you find this, the incestuous nature of this organization with Wayne LaPierre's wife being employed by Ackerman McQueen and others, even NRA employees who were there have decried the, uh, you know, the profligate spending, uh, the fact that they they started seeing Lexuses Mm. (laughs) um, all over uh, the NRA parking lot. And the NRA's answer to this is rather absurd, Uh, effectively, We know from what I've described to you where the huge quantum of these monies have gone and probably not coming back. They have wasted huge portions of the revenue that's come in on these kinds of uh, payments to people. And their answer has been to cut the coffee service in their Virginia headquarters.
0: So for the regular people.
1: (laughs) For the regular people. Exactly. And I think that's emblematic. Of what's really going on here. This has become uh, an organization that, once founded, honestly was was reasonably focused on gun safety. I I think that's you know an appropriate thing to do. It has become about greed and money. It really is emblematic of some of the worst aspects of of uh, you know of culture and greed in this country. And it's a real shame.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it makes sense. I mean, them and kind of everyone else, especially on the Republican side, I would say. But, you know, humans aren't immune to greed. So, no, let's switch gears a bit and talk a bit about gun control activism. Obviously, in the past few years, we've since Parkland, especially, we've seen a huge increase in in gun control activism and people really taking a stand on this issue. What changes have we seen, have you seen since Parkland? And what are other things that we can do to keep this going and really, you know, move the needle so that what people, what Americans want, which is more common sense gun control actually becomes law?
1: Great question. It's really been a seismic shift in this movement post Parkland. We had a situation in this country, and I would say it was really after Sandy Hook, where you had 26 children, elementary school children, and educators shot and killed in their own school. Was the push for expansion of background checks that happened and Congress didn't act. And I think it had a profound impact on the psyche of Americans. If we can't actually do something in response to this event, Mm-hmm. Is this just a hopeless, hopeless cause? We, we knew it was never hopeless, but that kind of frustration and sadness had an impact on our movement. The difference in Parkland is these were high school students and they had an ability, given where we are in America today, to get in front of a camera um, get on uh, Twitter, use social media to really convey a message that was pretty simple and profound, though, which is you've invested a lot of time in educating us. MSD is one of, has been recognized as one of the best public schools in the country. And you've taught us about how America is supposed to work. And what we understand is we elect people who are supposed to represent our interests. Why is it that this issue, as I've described before, with the vast majority of Americans who believe that common sense measures are needed to actually address this issue and that potentially could have stopped this shooting, why isn't it happening? Well, it's the NRA and it's on us. It's on us to ensure that we vote and we get out there. And indeed, they sparked something that continues until this day. We had a record turnout of youth. In the 2018 election, we see in poll after poll, this isn't just an immediate reaction to what happened at MSD. That happened on February 14th of last year. We're more than a year out, and a poll I saw last week shows that 18- to 34-year-olds continue to rank this issue as one of their top three issues. So what I would say is we have to continue to do that. If we say this is a priority issue... We will do more of what we did really well in 2018, which is to cultivate candidates to run and win in district after district in this country from Colorado six, which is red all the way to San Francisco, all the way back to places like Virginia. And these candidates are different. They represent the districts in which they are from, but they can articulate to voters why it is that common sense measures around this issue are necessary, are needed, and they're champions for this cause. So we've seen that happen. That's how we got a gun violence prevention majority in the House in 2018. And that, if we continue that momentum, and we're very committed to do that at Brady, through this election cycle in 2020, we can finally make that change. So I think the electoral part of it is hugely important. Everyone should be registering to vote and everyone should be encouraging their friends to register to vote. There's still this perception I hear too often. Well, it doesn't matter if I vote. Well, of course it matters if you vote. That's how we got the president that we have. Um, so of. that's that's a really <laughs> important piece. <laughs> I can't. It's obvious, but I, I have to say it. Yeah. And the other thing is, get involved at the local level. There's so much that we can do to actually change the conversation about guns in America and normalize a conversation that if you own a gun, lock it up, ensure mm-hmm. that it's safely stored. I have two kids. I have one daughter, a younger daughter who is severely allergic. She goes into anaphylaxis if she eats tree nuts. So by the time that she was going on playdates, I asked every single time, do you have nuts in your house? And we would make accommodations or I'd have a playdate at my house if there were nuts, as often there were. Do we ask the question all the time, is there a gun? Because if we did... We would have a profound change on ability to dialogue about this issue. About eight kids in this country every single day are shot and injured or killed because of a a, a loaded, unsecured gun in a home. Yeah, wow. So that's what we have to do. We all need to normalize those discussions, take ownership of safe storage to ensure that if we have guns, we are truly safely storing them. And Brady has a, has a campaign we started called End Family Fire. We've put a term, family fire, to the eight kids a day who are killed or injured with a gun in their own home. All of us need to take action, not sides, and end family fire. And we need to ensure that we register and vote and support candidates who are strong on this issue. That's that's the path forward. And we can change this. It's it's really that simple.
0: Definitely. Are there any particular measures that you think should we should push for? like sooner rather than later that Americans mostly support that should kind of be like an easy thing like background check seems like kind of a no brainer obviously much harder to do once you have actual congressional bills and all of the interests involved there but what what do you think we should be pushing for specifically that would really move the needle
1: well let me start That's a great question. Let me start by saying we have an epidemic of gun violence in this country and it really needs to be treated that way. So there is no one thing that is going to solve this problem. If you look at it as a disease, and we should because 40,000 people on average are dying from gun violence and over 100,000 more are injured. We don't talk about that enough.
0: Is that per year in America? Yes, we have
1: lost more people to gun violence in this country than we have lost in all of America's wars combined. Wow! Wow, And so if we want to truly internalize that and understand we must change it, then we have to start with the basics. And those the main three bills that I would like to see enacted at the federal level. So we have consistency across all states is number one, exactly what you said, Sammy, expansion of the Brady background check law, close that loophole that allows one of five guns to be sold, ensure that a background check happens before any gun sale. That's the first. The second is we should support states to enact what we call extreme risk laws. Those are the laws that were passed, now enacted in 14 states, Um, after Parkland, a huge number of states, including Republican-led states, adopted these. It allows law enforcement officers and, in some cases, family members to seek a protective order or an extreme risk order to remove guns from an individual who is at risk. These laws really work. They provide uh, an opportunity for individuals who are Seeing behaviors that are concerning, especially the at-risk behaviors be someone who's in danger of suicide, not who's just at risk of harming others, although that's a component of it, to seek a court order, so it requires a, an expedited hearing, and the guns are removed uh, during the pendency of that crisis for a temporary period. Uh, California has those laws, Connecticut has the law, as I said, about 14 states. In Connecticut, they did a study of the law. Connecticut has had the longest standing one, and it showed a 47% reduction in suicide in the state. And it was attributed to that law. Those laws work. And the third at a federal level that I would push, um, and that Brady is, is very strong on, is an assault weapons ban. We had an assault weapons ban In this country for about a decade. For various reasons, it was allowed to lapse. That ban works. We saw a reduction in uh, uh, mass shootings during the pendency of that ban. And we know that when
0: was that ban in place?
1: The ban was in effect. It expired in two thousand four. Okay, and that's an, another NRA special, by the way. The mm. sunsetting provision was added at the very last minute, um, or else we would still have that ban in effect. And we have seen far too often that the uh, mass shooting weapon of choice is far too often the the assault weapon.
0: Uh, just a question: What defines something as an assault weapon versus just like a gun? It's a complicated question, but it has to
1: do with uh, the rapidity of fire and the ability to hold a high-capacity magazine, the type of trigger. But the AR-15 is a classic uh, example of what would be defined as an assault weapon. So the the main features of it, and we work on legislation to ban assault weapons, which can be... Um, You know, uh, not always uh, completely straightforward, but you look at the main features that allow rapidity of fire and the ability to hold uh, high capacity magazines. So in California, for example, um, California is one of the states, and I think there are eight now, that have banned uh, assault weapons and high capacity magazines. They really go hand in hand. Um, as a result, you can't get a high-capacity magazine that has more than 10 bullets, right? That's the limitation under California law. Uh, Recently in California, that law was challenged, and for a very short period, there was a ruling in effect that reversed that. It held it as unconstitutional. The attorney general sought a stay of that ruling, But in the five days or so that that ruling by the lower court was allowed to be in effect holding the ban unconstitutional, they sold hundreds of thousands of assault weapons and high capacity magazines. We just have information now about this horrific shooting at the synagogue just outside of San Diego, that the shooter in that synagogue had a high capacity magazine of 10 rounds because California has this limit. Mm -hmm. What if that was not the case? What if he had a high capacity magazine that had 60 rounds or 100 rounds? That's how you can have 30 seconds or a minute go by and mass carnage. The AR-15 was designed on the same chassis, the exact same chassis as the M16. These weapons are weapons of war. They're intended to kill as many enemy combatants as possible in as short a time as possible. Weapons of war like this do not belong on our streets. It's just that simple.
0: What percentage of Americans would you say are against or, or support an assault rifle ban?
1: Well, the latest polling that I saw was somewhere around 65% nationally. That's still is, a lot, too. It is. It is. And and it's because I think you've seen that trend go up over the years because they read the paper every time something horrific happens and too often see the reference to the weapon is an assault weapon.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay, this has been a very enlightening conversation. Where can our audience get involved with Brady or follow you or follow Brady in general?
1: So uh, please go to www.bradyunited.org and we have a great website, great information there. Um, They can also follow Brady at Brady Buzz and... uh, me at, at Chris B uh, Brown. I think that's my Twitter. <laughs> um, Chris with a K. K. Yes. Mm. Like Jenner. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but, yes. But different. But different. Yes. But very different. <laughs> Chris with a purpose.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: Exactly. Um, so, yes, there's also Team Enough, which is our youth-led initiative. Uh, we have a Team Enough Twitter, lots of information about Team Enough on Brady's site, always looking for new members there. Uh, we're very involved with both Brady chapters, which uh, anyone can join, as well as Team Enough at the local level, getting ordinances passed, passed at the state level, and of course, at the federal level. This is in all of our hands. And so I would encourage all of your listeners to get in and get engaged and involved. Literally every single one of us working together can change this issue. And the momentum is, this is a really fantastic time to get involved in this cause because in 2020, we can actually, uh, for the first time since I've been around, have a majority, if we do it right in the house and in the senate and in the white house all of whom are gun violence prevention champions and who will pass the kinds of bills i just referenced and Mm -hmm. if we do that we will
0: save lives absolutely so everyone go go register to vote if you're not already if you are get your friends to vote None of us want to die at the hands of an assault rifle. And we're, as we're seeing, it can really happen absolutely anywhere, whether you're in a place of worship, a movie theater, whatever it is. So, guys, this is a really awesome cause to get involved in and to really devote your time and energy to. And, Chris, this has been super, super helpful. Thank you so much for talking yes, to us. Yes, thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
0: And we hope to speak to you soon. And, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So to close out this episode, until the end of democracy, I'm Sammy Fishbein. I'm Brian Russell-Smith. And this has been the Betches Sub Podcast. Betches.